Greetings and welcome to the Wall in Maine podcast. I'm Douglas Blake with Kingswood US. We're standing at the corner of Wall Street and Main Street. On the heels of the collapse of one of the largest cryptocurrency trading platforms, FTX, Wall Street and Main Street are fixated on this asset class. Today's guest is the founder and CEO of Prometheum, Aaron Kaplan. Prometheum is creating an SEC overseen and regulated market for compliant security tokens, which will provide for the primary issuance of registered, qualified, or exempt securities, a venue for secondary trading mechanism, mechanisms for clearing and settling transactions and monitoring custody of customer security token assets. That's a mouthful. What we're really trying to say is Prometheum is creating one of the first fully licensed, fully registered digital asset exchanges. Aaron, welcome so much to the program. Uh, thank you for having me, Doug. <laughs> Probably the largest, the lo longest intro in Wall and Main history. Uh, but there is a lot to unpack here in a short amount of time. And, and your background in this asset class is pretty extensive. I, I want to borrow your knowledge and ask if you could give us a regulatory timeline of cryptocurrency in the United States. You know, uh, I think uh, uh, myself and our firm are uniquely uh, qualified to do that. Uh, I'll give it in the context of our history. So we initially got into the space in 2013. Uh, it was the time when Bitcoin really was riding its first major popularization wave. Uh, it's the time of cypherpunks and, you know, crypto anarchists. And what you're starting to see is regulation in not really regulation, but um, virtual currency exchanges registering as money transmitters. You're seeing the emergence of Coinbase and Kraken at this time. Uh, and at the time, it was sort of a little bit Wild West-ish. And what happened was, is that we wrote a no action letter to the SEC, uh, actually in April 2014, asking them uh, to not take action should we uh, custody Bitcoin compliantly under the customer protection rule uh, in a clearing firm and trade it through a brokerage account in an ATS or on an ATS. Uh, at the time, it, it, it was just different, the, the mentality was different. But from there, what happened is um, the SEC became more active in the space. And the first major piece of, I guess, release from the SEC comes out in July 2017, which is the Dow report, uh, the DAO report. And it's the first time that the SEC basically says that uh, digital assets uh, arguably come under the purview of the federal securities laws and intermediaries operating in the space uh, uh, implicate the federal securities laws. Uh, from there, what happens in the United States, at least as the, you know, the uh, regulatory evolution occurs, is um, centralized exchanges uh, through money transmitter licensure grow bigger, uh, and then you see the emergence of this, I guess, a second generation of exchanges. Uh, you know, more exchanges like Binance coming on the scene and larger companies like that. I'm not as familiar internationally because I'm, I'm obviously focused on the domestic scene. Um, but um, as time goes on there, what we're seeing is that um, uh, I guess what builds up is that the situation we have now where 
what you're finding is that the current or the rules and regulations which were previously used in order to protect investors really didn't uh, accomplish that goal. And what we're seeing now to bring it full circle with FTX and uh, other sort of uh, events that have occurred in the industry is that I don't believe that um, the current regulatory regimes for uh, virtual currency exchanges, whether that becomes as a money transmitter or that becomes, uh, you know, being uh, doing some sort of jurisdiction shopping and operating outside the United States, uh, really serve investors' interests. And as a result of the recent debacles, what we're really seeing is the rapid application of the federal securities laws, uh, such that, uh, in my opinion, almost all digital asset-related activities are going to come under. Uh, the purview of the SEC and have to comply with the federal securities laws, including for virtual currency exchanges to register uh, as uh, under this under the securities laws, probably as ATSs or exchanges. Right. Uh, I realize you that's know, a lot. I apologize. No, that's that's perfect because it's now we can go back. I, I want to press rewind and go back in time a little bit. And then I want to come back to this debate, this conversation. Bitcoin was essentially created out of thin air, uh, really as a white paper. Right, and then and then put into uh, into use and created. I I kind of see it because of this was an era of not only globalization but but connectivity uh, via the internet, where you could coordinate uh, something like Bitcoin to launch and to permeate every corner of the globe, and anyone with access to a computer you know, would have at least the ability to, to potentially participate, but, but to be a part of this story. And that was unique because that came before any sort of regulation or any sort of notion that we would have to, you know, govern this. And, and I think it's not to say we were asleep at the wheel. It was almost like a virus to the financial system. And so it permeated all of these different areas, but then it grew so large that we, proponents of it, had to kind of reverse engineer a use case. They had to come up with a reason why it was okay and why this was the future. Detractors had to figure out, um, you know, how to put this toothpaste back in the tube. And, and you know, at, at, at a certain point, it got into the trillions in, in valuation. So a massive asset class, uh, systemically significant asset class on a global scale. So how did that happen? How did something come out of nowhere to become an industry? And what was the regulatory response to that as a result in, in those early days and and sort of um, over the last few years? So I think that Bitcoin's a bit anomalous um, in that it's the only digital asset, in my opinion, that's not a security. It's arguably a commodity. Um, Bitcoin is more of a store of value, whereas everything after the fact, starting with Ethereum and any other smart contract based network token, uh, is pretty clearly a security. Uh, and well, I think I should say that's in your opinion. And I'm not in saying my opinion. that because I, I don't agree or disagree, but that's the stance that you're taking. And so let's look at Investorpedia. The term security refers to a fungible, negotiable financial instrument that holds some type of monetary value. A security can represent ownership in a corporation, in the form of a stock, a creditor relationship with a governmental body, or a corporation represented by owning that entity's bond, or rights to ownership as represented by an option. So this is sort of like a general definition of a security. 
So somehow Bitcoin doesn't apply, but every other crypto that came after, in your opinion, does? Um, so Bitcoin was arguably always decentralized and it was a it's a store of value, whereas other instruments, uh, I'd say Bitcoin's more akin to gold in that capacity, whereas other instruments, uh, Ethereum and everything thereafter, are really an investment contract, meaning they're an investment in money of money uh, in a company enterprise with the intention of profit primarily from the efforts of others. And those are the factors of the Howey test that everyone discuss, uh, discusses. And if you've looked at the SEC's uh, record on this point, um, they're undefeated. <laughs> so I, I, I understand why, while the opinion might be a strong opinion and it's not, uh, could there be something that, that changes it? Possibly, but it, it, everything that's happened from a legal standpoint, from a regulatory standpoint, and uh, has really pointed to the fact that almost all smart contract network-based tokens are securities. Now, if you want to say stablecoins aren't, I could agree with you there in some capacity. But uh, besides for stablecoins there, yes, uh, almost everything is. And Chairman Gensler has said, uh, the chairman of the SEC has said uh, that many, uh, if not most, digital assets are securities as well. Uh, so you could take that for you know what you think that means as well. Right. And, and there's so much to, to consider in this conversation. And, and really, it's unprecedented. I guess probably the last corollary to what's going on in the crypto universe, certainly the last few years, it's probably when trading went from under a buttonwood tree, you know, on Wall Street into an exchange. Um, it, you've never really seen, at least I, I can't remember a time in my lifetime, an industry grow so quickly to such a large scale. Um, and, and this one, unfortunately, I think did so you know, and here's a key word that, that you used here, uh, decentralized. Now, Kingswood U.S., you know, we deal with clients every day who have to open bank accounts. And those bank accounts, you know, we require certain information from those clients. And it's getting more and more challenging. And the information we require, particularly from international investors, uh, continues to be more and more. However, this uh, being decentralized in nature is a financial services um, instrument or, or platform where you don't know your client and you're not able to conduct things like AML on most of the transactions across uh, this space. And even if you know who has it now, you may not know who he got it from and if, or he or she got it from. And, and if that entity was one that we're permitted to do business with, in fact, Kraken just had to pay a fine to the SEC for for doing some business with Iran, uh, which was not permitted, and you know, in our banking laws. So, how can an industry be both decentralized and regulated? Uh, so, in the industry, what we've seen historically is the argument that regulation kills innovation, decentralization is incongruent with regulation, and the reality is, is anyone who has spoken or you know, espouse those point of view, points of view are usually best served by the lack of lack of regulation. Uh, sort of how like uh, recently with FTX, they were promoting the CFTC regulating crypto. Uh, I think it was because they had a vested interest in that at the expense of their investors. Um, but uh, I don't think that decentralization is as big of an issue as people people want to focus on. Um, many of the entities, when they issued their tokens, 
all, all these different smart contract based blockchains uh, were centralized and many of them are still centralized. So I don't know if if decentralization is um, necessarily an issue. I think that if you look at where the recent issues have been with, they've been with centralized entities, centralized exchanges, centralized uh, trading firms, centralized custodians. Uh, and I think that any time when a retail public is dealing with uh, assets and investing and participating in a space as it had at a rapid pace, and you know there was lots of advertisements, whether it's Steph Curry, Tom Brady, uh, Larry David, et cetera, uh, trying to get the retail public to invest. Uh, the question is not, not about whether decentralization uh, fits with regulation. It's a question of how do you protect these people who are participating in the space? And what are the best frameworks to do that? And in my opinion, it's uh, pretty clearly the federal securities laws. Right. And, and I think that's, uh, that's a, a logical step to take. But the industry, or you know what I should say, the regulators have been slow to respond with some sort of a framework for the existing players to operate. And so I think that might be a good question going forward. Can this industry, as it's built today, uh, save Bitcoin, be corralled into a regulatory framework? Or does everything but Bitcoin, let's kind of give them a pass for now, that's probably an entire additional podcast. <laughs> can, can, can every other... Um, altcoin or crypto that that has emerged, particularly Ethereum because of its size, can they be corralled into a regulatory framework and structure where they can be used? Or is that is this all fruit from the poisonous, poisonous tree, to use a legal term? And do we have to kind of scrap it and start over? No, I, I think that um, first it comes down to regulating intermediaries properly, ensuring that they're uh, basically uh, making sure that investors are protected, there's fair and orderly markets, full and fair disclosure, uh, you know, basically everything that the federal securities laws are supposed to do. Uh, having a intermediaries register and comply with those rules and regulations and the framework set up by uh, the federal securities laws uh, will be the first step in protecting investors. And that's the most important part here uh, because the retail public has been the, uh, the people who have been hurt the most in these events. And the whole point of the federal securities laws that came about, you know, as a result of the uh, stock market crash in 1929 was to protect the investing public. Uh, so I, I don't know if the argument that, you know, that we need regulatory clarity uh, jives. I think the point is, is that there's always been regulatory clarity. It's just that the people who were able to benefit from uh, trying to skirt that regulatory clarity, meaning the uh, SEC's rules and regulations, uh, we're able to do so for a period of time. And now, uh, you know, <laughs> it's it, everything's come home to roost and we see who's swimming naked. And I think the tokens will be okay. It's more that the uh, major entities, whether it's the centralized virtual currency exchanges, the custodians, uh, and anyone else who should comply with federal securities laws, uh, that's where we'll see a lot of change, but not necessarily with the tokens themselves. I don't think we have to worry about Ethereum uh, sort of having some sort of retroactive morphing into something else. Uh, Ethereum serves its purpose. Uh, I should say ETH serves its purpose. Uh, and it makes sense from a uh, abstractly economic and uh, 
and sort of uh, price mechanism in the sense that the more financial transactions occurred there in theory, the higher the price of Ethereum should go. Uh, ETH should go, I should say. But uh, what we'll see in the near term, particularly with what's happened with FTX, is the uh, rapid application of the SEC's rules and frameworks and also the uh, expedient, I don't know what we would say, maybe a the centralized uh, players in the space expeditiously realizing and figuring out how to uh, come into compliance with the rules and regulations of the federal securities laws. And one other point here, the SEC has put out uh, frameworks for the trading and custody of digital asset securities with the three-step and the special purpose broker-dealer releases. Uh, so anyone who makes the argument there's no regulatory clarity, they just didn't want to read those frameworks. It was It's very hard to comply with the uh, digital asset securities laws in the United States. I, I, it's... It's not, I shouldn't say it's very hard. It's just a lot more difficult than than uh, registering as a money transmitter the same way that, uh, you know, uh, money grammar Western Union does. I don't think right. that, I don't think that uh, Western Union is trying to make sure that there's uh, fair and orderly markets. I don't think that they're trying to prevent wash trading, that they have the proper risk management. I don't think that's in their realm of what they're thinking. I think what the virtual currency exchanges are thinking is more like what a, akin to a ATS or a stock exchange is thinking. And uh, while they were able to arguably take advantage of some sort of regulatory arbitrage historically, uh, that's no longer the case here. You know, I'm, I'm gonna ask what's probably gonna be a controversial or a tough question and answer it in, in, to the level of your comfort. When seeing how FTX has collapsed and now trying to determine how much of that was, uh, as, as Sam Bankman-Fried put it, mistakes, and how much of that was flat-out fraud, um, yet to be determined, but certainly, you know, there, there, he's got some explaining to do for a lot of the, the things that were done there. And, and it also does speak to the notion of creating this industry before the regulation and the infrastructure was ready for it and the pitfalls of that. The question is how much of the crypto industry, I hate to call it crypto, I know there's a lot of use cases and a lot of other terms that we can bump in there, but in general, how much of DeFi in the last two to three years was a legitimate enterprise and how much of it was just fraud? Uh, it's a, that's a tough question. Uh, I would say that... Um, when you have, uh, in theory, platforms that trade on their own platform, that take advantage, that trade ahead of their customers' orders, that sort of co-mingle customer funds with the assets of the institution, uh, you have a lot of improper activity. You have a lot of uh, uh, arguably uh, really malicious deeds. And I honestly think it doesn't matter about intent. It just comes down to the fact that it happened. Uh, a lot of these components have a strict liability element, meaning it's not a question of whether you intended to commingle your customer funds or assets or not. If you did it, you did it. So I think the argument, oh, I didn't intend for this to happen. I, I don't think it holds muster when you have some gentleman, you know, a family in the Midwest, and now all of a sudden, um, a significant part of their savings are gone, gone not because the price of their assets went down, but because literally they couldn't get their assets. Uh, and I think that um, intention here 
is is not is not the proper thing to focus on. The proper thing to focus on is the events that occurred and how we can use this as an opportunity to avoid them from occurring again. Right. And, and you know, there was some, uh, that's a great response, by the way. And there was some, um, some rhetoric out of the large investment banks uh, and, and money center banks suggesting, suggesting that this reckoning might actually be what was necessary to level set and then to actually create a viable industry around this asset class going forward. So it's it's a lot more constructive, I think, than we would have thought. The the response to what we just saw, maybe the, the biggest one of the biggest frauds in history, if if it turns out to be the case, right before our eyes. And 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 so it permeated everything from money to to pop culture, as you, as you mentioned, and, you know, some very high profile um, proponents that, that are now going to, you know, have to deal with the fallout. What, what does this mean for, and, and I guess better, better way to put it, how we're, we're on wall street right now, let's go over to main street. What should everyday people, what should individual investors, what should accredited investors how should these people look at crypto today? Is it investable right now? Do we need to continue to uh, to fix what clearly is not functioning properly before it's, uh, as, as they also say in, in, in the law, fit for human consumption? Or can we participate at this stage uh, in this asset class? You know, from a Main Street perspective, I'd say that uh, from what happened in the last 20 years, starting with, you know, the great financial crisis, uh, which required the government to step in and bail out a series of financial, major financial institutions. Um, that is more offensive to me in some capacity, not a more offensive, more of a consideration for Main Street, where in the events that we've had recently in the industry, there's been no government bailout. Basically, as it should, co companies go bankrupt. And we, the system, you know, we, as an industry, uh, those who deserve to fail, who took excessive risks are washed out and uh, they're not zombie enterprises and the industry moves forward. I would argue from a investability standpoint, uh, that's a pure way to proceed as opposed to the government stepping in, bailing out the banks, such as there's not such incredible economic contagion as, as there almost happened with the financial crisis. Now, while the, let's say, I don't like the term crypto either, but let's say the digital asset or the, uh, let's just use crypto, the crypto industry as a whole is maturing at a rapid pace. And this, uh, the recent debacles and the arguably incestuous relationships between the major entities in the space uh, that can lead to the domino effect occurring uh, will have been exposed and the clarity provided by the rapid application of the federal securities laws, in my opinion, will lead to the next wave of institutional participation in the space. And if more institutions participate in the space, then the asset class as a whole is more investable because in theory, you know, if more dollars are coming in, uh, the prices should go up. And if a uh, the main street, the retail, or, you know, the average investor want to participate in that, I think it's an interesting time to uh, focus on potential opportunities in the space, given that we've had such a uh, washout over the past quarter or so. Right. 
it's really a, a, an interesting moment and it's a great uh, segue actually. But before I even get to that, I do want to note the bailouts that we saw during the financial crisis. You know, we look at uh, the U.S. financial system and the hand in glove relationship between Washington and the Federal Reserve. Uh, and, you know, I think about Milton Friedman, uh, the famed economist and his notion that Every recession, every depression, uh, and, and every economic uh, prosperity cycle was uh, was the result and only the result of the Fed's monetary policy. And I'm paraphrasing there, but hmm. it's not exactly an altruistic system that we have in place at the moment. And um, and so, if there were, uh, I think, to your point, a a truly democratized, decentralized monetary system, as long as it had certain safeguards around it and those other conflicts, the political uh, conflicts, you know, the Fed's a quasi-private institution. So even their motives uh, being taken out of it, maybe we would finally wind up with the best version of this thing. But, you know, rant over. Now let's look forward because what Prometheum is doing, uh, your company is so interesting, and, and your journey started long ago. This is not a Johnny-come-lately story, as, as so many in the crypto space are in just the past couple of years. But I want to start with a question, and then you can answer with what you're doing and, and sort of how this is going to look in the future. Is this industry as interesting to the current and future participants if it's to be regulated? Because I think a lot of the growth that we've seen was very much because it was not regulated. So, so I think that the growth in the industry, and you brought it up earlier, is sort of a was sort of a a result of a conflation of internet 2.0, you know, like consumer-based applications in addition to a monetary or a value element. So basically understanding how consumer-based social media apps work in connection with uh, the internet of money. And while the industry, I think, was given a lot of latitude and a lot of rope to grow in a uh, lightly regulated sense, um, now... I think initially when, it, you know, when you had the ICO craze, which is what, 2017, 2018, uh, that's the first phase of where it almost gets big enough such that regulation will come in. And as it continued to grow thereafter, starting to go into 2020, 2021 with specifically, you know, you have the, uh, uh, the government, uh, I guess grants is not the right word, but uh, uh, in some essence, supporting uh, inflationary policies. Uh, and people having excessive dollars to invest in uh, what at the time was the crypto space. Um, what we've seen is that the industry, and it's been proven very recently with FTX and the like, uh, the industry is too big not to be regulated. And the only way for it to move forward and for the uh, crypto winter to end is for uh, strict regulatory frameworks to be applied. Uh, I really think that's the best way, that's the best path forward. And it's really the path towards the crypto spring. Oh, I was going to use that. You stole that line from me. Right? <laughs> so, <laughs> I've been using that line since 2018. <laughs> no, definitely. I'm not taking credit for it, but I was going to throw it in right here because if the if the the players in the space right now need to, you know, have their um, let's call it their come to Jesus moment, um, and 
if this industry is going to migrate towards regulation, standardization, and some sort of framework and some sort of guidelines so that we, you know, another FTX doesn't happen and the ICO boom and the proliferation of altcoins and I won't use the moniker, but even worse and, you know, NFTs and, and everything like that becoming just these valuable products uh, overnight and through various means, but, but then collapsing and, you know, causing a lot of, uh, you know, injurious outcomes to the investors who participated in them blindly or, or with less information than they'd have on something like a stock or a bond. How is your company addressing the, what we hope or think will be the, the crypto spring? So Prometheum's philosophy and our thesis has always been that the best way to regulate the crypto digital asset, what the, uh, Web 3.0 industry is uh, through the federal securities laws. Uh, it's the best way to ensure the proper issuance, trading, clearance, settlement, and custody of uh, a instrument of value that is being traded and speculated on. And what Prometheum is doing is building a public market and custodial infrastructure, uh, which will be used by its subsidiaries, Prometheum ATS and Prometheum Capital. And Prometheum ATS has obtained the required regulatory licenses that allow for public trading of digital asset securities. Uh, and it's a member of FINRA and registered as a BD with the SEC. Uh, so essentially, um, Prometheum ATS treats digital assets, what historically has been called crypto, as a security, and it, it complies with the federal securities laws, which ensures that investors are protected, ensures that they're fair and orderly markets, and ensures that um, uh, that customers' funds and assets are properly segregated and protected. Uh, initially, Prometheum right now is, uh, through its subsidiary, Prometheum ATS, uh, has launched and uh, with five tokens for tr public, tr excuse me, for trading for institutions uh, initially. But we're also currently in the process uh, through Prometheum Capital uh, of obtaining the securities license to become a special purpose broker dealer, uh, which will allow us for the clear to clear and settle uh, digital asset transactions and custody digital assets uh, for those transactions that occur on our ATS, our Prometheum ATS. So what does that mean? Uh, essentially, the by complying with the federal securities laws on both the trading and the custody level, uh, you're ensuring that uh, markets have integrity, that there's no manipulation in the actual trading itself. And not just that, uh, under the federal securities laws, you're also ensuring that customers' funds and assets are properly segregated and custodied. And at least what we've heard, and it's becoming more and more uh, uh verified, I guess is the best word, is that one of the major issues at FTX, let's say, was the commingling of customers' funds and assets with that of Alameda. And what happened in the event then is that basically they use it as a piggy bank in theory. And that leads to an event where if the uh, institution, in this case FTX, goes belly up, uh, customers are not properly segregated and protected. Their funds and assets are part of the institution. And what ends up happening in that case, they become general creditors, uh, which means you're not the first line of creditors. You're not a secured creditor. You're an unsecured general creditor. You're the last person to receive a dollar if there's any left. Uh, so they're probably, hopefully not, but they, you know, they're possibly wiped out. And that can't happen. Uh, that can't happen going forward. And by... Uh, 
Promethium through Promethium ATS and Promethium Capital and the application of the federal securities laws, uh, we really strive to ensure that that won't happen again. And it can't and won't happen going forward if uh, companies comply uh, with the rules and regulations of the SEC and apply the federal securities laws. And that's what we've done. So we're really trying to make sure that uh, the industry could reach its next level of maturation where uh, these black swan events that that take out major established players uh, because of excessive risk taking and lack of internal controls uh, are a thing of the past. Because what we really need to do in order for the industry to move forward is to have that investor confidence, to have the faith in the industry. And the best way forward to do that is the application of the federal securities laws and complying with them. Right. And to, to build on this, first, I'll, I'll go back to, um, to just translate something. An ATS is an alternative trading system. And that is a, an SEC-regulated electronic trading system to match uh, orders for buyers and sellers. And so, okay, that's one. Check, right? Let's get that under the watchful eye of the regulators. Then you have a solution to potentially custody those assets. In tandem, you'll, you'll now have a platform to ensure that something like FTX allegedly lending billions of dollars to Alameda, you know, without so much as one regulatory hurdle in doing so, at which point uh, Alameda, which is a wholly owned hedge fund of Sam Bankman-Fried, seemingly lost all of the money. Um, so you're offering the industry a way forward. Quickly, before I have one last question, how, how long did it take you to put this together? So as I mentioned before, we first wrote, and this was before we even started Prometheum, uh, our first no-action alert to the SEC about how to custody Bitcoin through a clearing firm in compliance with customer protection rules, uh, and basically in April 2014. Um, when the Dow report came out in July 2017, we realized that uh, the federal securities laws were going to be the framework. It took a little longer than we anticipated uh, that would be, first, that they were best suited to be the framework, but that they were also most likely to be the framework. Uh, that would eventually regulate the industry. And we started Prometheum. And when the idea was to create an ecosystem to service the entire life cycle of a digital asset security, from issuance to trading to clearance, settlement, and custody. Uh, I believe from there, we uh, you know, we started everything. We raised the capital. We started our application process for an ATS. Uh, and as the regulations and frameworks came out and evolved, so the specific frameworks were three-step uh, release for the trading of digital asset securities and for the special purpose broker dealer release for the custody of digital asset securities. Uh, we were involved in uh, uh, with the special purpose broker dealer with the comment process afterwards. And we've been doing everything we could since those uh, frameworks came out to comply with that. And we are one of the first, if not the first ATS that can publicly trade digital asset securities. Uh, uh, initially from, uh, from launch, we'll service institutions, but when we become a special purpose broker dealer, uh, we'll also be able to allow for retail trading in those assets as well, as well. Uh, and so it's been a long journey, but it's been, uh, very validating in that we've been believers in this, in the application of the federal securities laws and that being the best framework to protect investors since the beginning. And I think what time will tell is that we're on the right side of history here. Absolutely. Uh, the, you know, clearly it takes years in, in many cases to be an overnight success, but the, uh, the spotlight has 
certainly shifted to what you're doing now in light of everything that's happened recently. So, um, you know, the, the way forward, it does seem is, is going to have to be through a structure like the one that you've created with Prometheum. So that my last question, and I'll reassure our producers in saying that I know we like to keep these conversations relatively brief. Um, I'll scrap the other four pages of notes that I have to get hmm. to in, in the name of keeping this uh, short and sweet. But I, I do hope we can coax you back in in the future for, for additional conversations, particularly as we start to understand the fallout of, of this FTX collapse and, and what that means for the industry going forward. Um, the last question would be this, and, and I think it's also, it was kind of like the first question. If you're going to regulate and centralize something that was not regulated and decentralized for so long, who are the players who would have interest in this space now? Who, who would want to be a part of this going forward? Uh, save for those who have to migrate their unregulated and decentralized um, tokens or what have you onto an exchange like yours. If, if this is basically just another version of an exchange, why does it have novelty above and beyond that, which, which you could get from the New York Stock Exchange, for example? So, uh, for regulatory reasons, let me clarify: we're an alternative trading system, not an exchange. So I don't mean to be a stickler. Yes, no, <laughs> that's what you're saying that, right? And keep, keep um, me, uh, yeah, keep me out of trouble, please. Uh, I would say it's twofold. One, the investor protections and the rules and requirements of the federal securities laws uh, will are really best suited for the industry. They will ensure that events like FTX don't happen again. They will ensure that there's proper and uh, fair and orderly trading on uh, platforms that are either ATSs or exchanges or uh, in some cons in some abstract way. Uh, they will ensure what doesn't necessarily happen on virtual currency exchanges. They will ensure that uh, there's proper custody of digital assets and they're segregated properly. And, and that's the first component. So just applying the federal securities laws uh, allows investors to be protected much better than they are currently, either at uh, offshore exchanges or virtual currency exchanges. Uh, the second point in that regard, though, is that a lot of um, major entities who want to participate in the space had internal either... Uh, compliance or regulatory concerns that were not uh, satisfied by the current structures, whether it was the offshore virtual currency exchanges and by operating under the press securities laws being uh, registered with uh, FINRA and the SEC. And it eliminates a lot of those barriers that historically prevented uh, major entities from participating in the space. And we believe that by uh, creating a bridge between, a compliant bridge really, between uh, the legacy financial system, Main Street, Wall Street, and Web 3.0, uh, it's really the best way forward for the industry to uh, continue to grow and to reach the levels that everyone wants it to. Well said. And, and, my closing thought here would be, I really believe the backlash or, or the disappointment, I think, that Main Street has had, that Washington has had, that the SEC has had with this industry is that 
investors of all shapes and sizes without any vetting whatsoever were given access and the ability to participate in this asset class really unabated uh, in any way they chose before so many decisions were made, everything from regulations to tax implications to, you know, AML and, and uh, KYC. I mean, it's, there aren't even advisors uh, on top of these recommendations to buy into these very risky assets. I think the disappointment was that it was a Trojan horse for investors who made the pivot from, you know, being on E-Trade and investing in, in uh, or, or any of the, you know, uh, trading platforms and investing in stocks and bonds, which were regulated industries. And then seeing this other opportunity that was sort of tangential and saying, oh, I can invest here and enjoy a lot of the same safeguards and a lot of the protections that I do investing there. Otherwise, why would there be a commercial at that, you know, at the halftime show of the Super Bowl? Why would there be an arena named after this platform if it wasn't safe for me to participate? And so there's a real disappointment that as this all came crashing down, you know, the individual investor was really left holding the bag here and was really kind of betrayed, I think, by the financial services industry and not doing more to protect them or, or, or explain to them that what they were doing was not under the watchful eye of, of the regulation that they enjoyed with their other investments. And, and I say all of that to say, number one, thank you for coming on to our, our podcast today, Aaron, because it's information that retail investors, individual investors and advisors are looking for right now. What happened? How could it happen? And, and so what do we do now? And, and you've been so generous with your time and your knowledge in sharing a sort of an overview of that. But more importantly, thank you for, you know, in, in, at least in your interpretation, creating and spending the time and effort in, in creating a way forward for this industry that does address all of those issues. And, you know, as we look at the future of this industry, if it is to, you know, have a, uh, a, a crypto spring, <laughs> um, I, I just want to thank you for that, for the thought and the effort and time to say, what does this look like regulated? What does this look like under the scrutiny of, uh, you know, of, of the financial system? And, and how do we protect investors going forward who want to participate in something like this? So for all those reasons, Aaron, uh, thank you so much for joining us for today's program. And we really appreciate your time. Uh, thank you for the opportunity, Doug. Looking forward to hopefully speaking again in the future. Excellent. Aaron Kaplan, founder and CEO of Prometheum.